So good to be with you all this morning. Thank you for coming this morning. You all got out of bed and put clothes on, might have even brushed your teeth. We appreciate that. Deodorant. Some of those songs with the amens, you know, you're hoping the person behind you brushed all these amens coming. Anyway, but it's always great to be here. Um, for those that uh, are new or, or haven't been with us over the last, yeah, there it is. Thank you. No, no, this is, this is perfect. We are doing a study on uh, the book of First Peter called Alien Life Form, How to Live Life as an Alien. Because Peter addresses his readers uh, in First Peter as aliens or strangers, depends on your translation. But the idea is, as believers in Jesus, we're not at home in this world. This is not our home. And uh, we uh, live life differently than the rest of the world. So you're, you feel like an alien. And uh, this was inflated at the beginning of the series. And maybe you feel like this today because we're nearing the end. This has been my week last week, by the way. So uh, if you feel deflated, you know, trampled uh, through what you've learned through this study, well, that's a good thing uh, because there are times when you feel like that, you know. But God... Uh, always uses his word to encourage and inspire and, and give us hope and, and uh, a new day, new opportunity to, to serve God with our life. Um, the world that we live in is a dark place, isn't it? And with uh, access that we have to news and, and world events all over the globe at 24-7, you know, sometimes it can be deflating, right? To think about all the evil and the sinfulness and the, and the way the world's going, you're like, wow. You know, what, what, it, what is our hope? Who is our hope? But that's why we come here on a Sunday morning, uh, to be encouraged, to hear from God. I think that's the greatest thing that any of us uh, could receive on a Sunday morning when you come to worship, is to hear from God. And as a Bible church, that's all we have. We have the Bible. And so we, we try to preach uh, expositionally, as we say, as we go through a book of the Bible, expository preaching. We want to we wanna mine what God has said and bring it out of the text because it's the Word of God that cha transforms us, right? It's the Bible that changes lives. God uses His Word. And so that's why we're committed to expositional teaching. And this morning we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And there's only five chapters, so we only have a, maybe one more sermon in this series. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned a lot. I've learned so much. God always seems to um, teach me a lot as I prepare. You know, this past week I was just hit with the realization that I don't know that I really filtered last week's sermon through my heart like, like I needed to. Last week's sermon was, um, you know, pretty, pretty good stuff. Uh, it was a great sermon. No, I'm kidding. It was on humility? No, I'm kidding. That's today. Uh, but it just challenging, and you know, and I, I remember, say, Thursday or so, I was like, you know, I, I started to see things in my life, and I'm like, this is exactly what I preached on Sunday, and I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not actually living this right now, and it really convicted me, and so uh, I guess I'm just saying that uh, I need this as much as anyone else in the room, and uh, so I'm grateful to be able to study and to learn and to share that with you. So, um, the believers to whom Peter's writing in the first century, 
found themselves living as literal refugees in a world that was hostile to their faith. If you recall, persecution was coming because they, they followed Jesus. They were aligned with Jesus Christ, and the world didn't care for that. And so persecution came and opposition, and so they actually literally had to pick up and run to the surrounding regions, uh, left their home, their homeland, their livelihood, a lot of them, and they had to start over in a new land and uh, new people. What do you do? If that were you, you know, imagine being a believer in that time, first century. You come to faith in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You're now a, a new creation. You have a new outlook on life, and, and, and all these things are new. And, but you also then realize shortly after that this newfound faith in Jesus has brought some unexpected and unwanted persecution or suffering to your world. Imagine if that were you. Imagine if it were you and your family that had to pack up everything and said, hey, kids, we've got to run. We've got to go. And you had to flee, start over. That's not easy. How, how difficult would it be for you as a new believer to continue to trust God and everything you do in life and everything that you see, all the circumstances that you experience? How hard would it be to continue to trust God when everything around you seems to be saying that God isn't there, that, that He's abandon you. Surely if God's love, if he's all-powerful, then I wouldn't be experiencing the suffering I am, the persecution I am. How hard would it be to continue to trust in this God? And I got to thinking too, what would be one of the most important things you would need when you got to the, the new location where you're going to start over your life as a Christian? What would be one of the most important things you would want to to look for when you first got there. You know what it'd be for me? A local church. A local assembly of believers. Because I think the local church is what God's provided to help all of us navigate the storms of life. We need each other. We need to encourage each other, spur one another on, pray for one another. You would need a local church. A place to call home. Uh, Shayla and I were talking this last week. My family and I have lived in seven states in our 28 years of marriage, and we've moved 14 times. No, I'm not in the military. I have warrants out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, just, just trying to follow the Lord, and that was Bible college, and, and then another Bible college, and then ministry opportunities, and God opens doors, and God moves people from time to time, but it seemed like a lot when you look back on it, but Without question, the hardest times in our life as a family has been the times of transition between uh, leaving a church family and trying to find a new church, right? It's hard. It's just like, and Satan loves those times. He loves to ramp it up, loves to discourage you, and you kind of just wander a little bit when you, when you don't have a church home. The church has been central to our life in all those 28 years, absolutely central to our life. We've been part of some good growing churches. We've been part of some stuck dysfunctional churches. But make no mistake about it, the local church has been an indispensable part 
of our spiritual growth and maturity of our Christian life. We love the local church. That's why we do what we do. We've given our lives to the local church ever since God got a hold of our lives. We knew this is, this is where God wants us. From, from Shayla, soon after she came to know Jesus uh, as an adult, after we were married, she started teaching twos and threes. The, the Bible stories that she didn't know. She hadn't heard them. But that's a great way to, to learn them, right? To teach others. Shayla's in uh, children's church this morning. Guess what she's doing? She's teaching three through five. She, have you noticed how much Shayla loves kids, though? They just kind of flock to her and, because she loves it. She loves kids. She loves teaching kids about God. She wants them to know God. And so that's what she started out doing. So from that in the local church to Shayla and I were discipled by an older couple. They were pretty old. I mean, like, probably in their 60s, 50s, 60s. I'm 50 now. I can say that. But as um, 20-somethings, you know, starting out with a young family, it was great to have this older couple come alongside of us and just meet with us once a week and, and go through a Bible study and just talk about life and marriage and family and kids. And wow, it's the local church. God has played an absolutely essential part of not just our, our spiritual lives, but our social lives. The church was our life. It's always been our life. Our church family was our family. A lot of these places that we've gone, we've followed the Lord, it was just us. Family isn't around. I mean, it's really kind of that way here. You guys are our family. Father's with the Lord. My mom's in Indiana. The uh, rest of my family isn't. You know, we have our kids. Some of our kids are nearby, but you're our family. You're stuck with us. But it was just the center of our life. And we look back on those early years, especially of the local church and when we first got involved, and, and we look back with fondness and gratitude. It's exciting. It was fun. It was great. And to be honest, we miss those days sometimes. You ever miss the earlier days of church life? I, I long to see those days again in, in the church where the church is central to everyone's life. Not just a place of worship on Sunday morning, though as great as that is, but a place where relationships are built, friendships are made, lives are transformed, and people are reached with the gospel Monday through Saturday. And I can honestly say this morning, without hesitation, that that is God's dream for His church still today. He designed it to be that way. How do we get to, to the place where we're we are the church. We're not just going to church, but we are the church. Well, it begins, I believe, with leadership. When we think about all the challenges that these early Christians experienced in, in their life of following Jesus, I imagine they looked often for someone to lead them through the fiery trials they were experiencing. That would be awfully difficult, wouldn't, wouldn't it, if you were on your own through all of that? They needed shepherds to love them and to care for them and to lead them by example in navigating these storms of their life. And you know, things haven't changed today. We all still need leaders to help guide us and, and look out for us and, and teach us what it looks like to follow Jesus with our lives. You've heard that expression before. I imagine everything rises or falls on leadership. 
I've always believed that, and I believe that's true, especially in the church as well. And I think Peter, knowing how indispensable, strong, spiritual, healthy leaders were to the success of these uh, local churches, he took time in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5, to address the leaders of the church, the elders specifically, in his letter. And that passage here is, is unique because it's the only passage in the New Testament <clears throat> letter that singles out elders from the rest of the congregation, the believers, with a direct exhortation to them. The only other time you find a direct exhortation to the elders is Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, if you recall that from Acts. Well, let's read verses 1 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5 to begin, and then let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5. I'll read from the ESV this morning. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Father, um, you know full well as we enter into this time of, of study that apart from you, we can't understand any of this. It requires the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit to help us not just to, to read a text and to see what's on the surface, but to understand and understand why it's important, and understand how it applies to our life, Lord. So we need you for that. I, I need you, Lord. This has been a, a difficult week and a, and a difficult subject matter that you know, Lord, I'm, I'm always a little hesitant to, to speak on, but this is your word. This is where we find ourselves, and so we're going to give it to you today. Help us to learn and help us to grow from this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, becoming a, a healthy growing local church is really not all that complicated, but it's extremely difficult. God has given us access to everything we could possibly need to be a successful, healthy, growing church. The hard part is taking hold of it and devoting ourselves to those things. But if every one of us, I think this morning, determined, I'm going to do my part to, to run my race, that's what last week's message was about in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to run my race that God has set for me. If we all determined to do that, imagine what God could do in a church. So there's just a couple observations from 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5, that can help us, I think, on our way toward that end. The first thing is that shepherds shepherd. Shepherds, we need to shepherd. As he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We know that from experience, and we know that from God's Word, that as the leaders go, so go the people. So goes the organization, so goes the church. That's a general principle, I think, in life. But I think Peter understood that, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote as much to this local church, to, the, to these believers that would read this. Peter was an apostle, capital A, apostle. There's only so many that qualified to be an apostle, even still today, you have to have seen the resurrected Christ. He was an apostle, but he was also a fellow elder. I, I guess Peter could have appealed to his authority as an apostle and said, hey, listen, I'm an apostle. Listen up, elders, you know, <laughs> here's what you need to do. But he didn't do that. He addressed the elders as fellow elders. He says, hey, I'm in the same boat as you are. I also am a shepherd. And he reminded them that we all have a critical role to play in God's plan for his church. And so as an elder myself, here this morning to all the elders, past, present, maybe future, we would do well to listen to our fellow elder Peter and heed the instruction that he gives us. And I think the, the first thing that we all need to understand as a church is what is an elder? Well, the, world, the word just simply means eld, elderly, right, or old man, um, old person. But when it's used in the Bible, it has a, a, a different meaning um, in the context. It's the, the Greek word presbyteros, and it means a person of responsibility and authority in matters of social religious concerns, both in Jewish and Christian societies. There were elders in the Old Testament, elders for the uh, nation of Israel, and then you see God um, setting apart elders for his role of leadership in the church. Here's another definition, that, uh, more simplified. An, an elder is one of a plurality of biblically qualified men who jointly shepherd and oversee a local body of believers. That's what an elder is. I think that's what uh, churches need to understand. Not all churches have elders. Um, I think it's synonymous with, with pastor a lot of times. Uh, it's, it's synonymous with a bishop or an overseer. But it doesn't have to be an old, old person necessarily, though there's uh, some experience and wisdom that only comes with age. But he's talking really about being a spiritually mature man an overseer in the New Testament. It refers to the office of this leadership position called elder. And essentially, the elders are the pastors that are called to shepherd the church. I think the only time that pastor is really used in the New Testament is in Ephesians 4, if you remember, when God said He gave gifts, spiritual gifts to the church, and pastor is one that He mentions as, as a spiritual gift. So I think not all elders necessarily have the gift of pastor, but all elders are, are called to participate in the shepherding of the people. And so shepherding or overseeing a local church is, is not also a, just a job for one man. You have just a, a singular pastor, and he's the guy that's supposed to shepherd the church and lead the church by himself. You know, don't sign me up for that, because I don't believe anyone can do that. That's why whenever you see the elders being addressed in the Bible or a church being addressed, uh, the, it's always in the plural, to the elders, 
at the church of. It's always plural with a singular church in mind. And so there was a, a multiple elders who were the spiritual leaders of the church. But when you study the Bible and you see what an elder does, you know, that's the question. What does an elder do? Well, there's several things. And again, th this study this morning is certainly not going to be an all-inclusive study on the role of an elder or what an elder does or anything for that matter. This is just really an overview uh, of Peter's challenge here to the elders and then to the rest of the church as well. You get to be the younger, okay? So uh, you'll appreciate that. But what does an elder do? One thing um, you see when you study biblical eldership in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is the one who calls these men to leadership. It's the Holy Spirit. So it's a calling. That, that's first and foremost, in my opinion. Uh, a man must be convinced that God is leading him to this place of authority in the church, this place of leadership. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a hobby. A man decides that he, ah, I think I'll take that on for a while. Nor is it a position that a man enters into to, to stroke his ego. It's a divine calling on a man that takes great prayer, great consideration before he decides to answer the call. Because you'll also see in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 that not only does God set men apart by His Holy Spirit to this position of leadership, He also lays out the qualification for these men. Here's a, a little chart to show kind of the qualifications both of elders and deacons, and there is some overlap, but a lot of the same qualifications um, are, are just the same for, for both elder and deacon. The main difference is that an elder must be able to teach. That's the main difference that separates them. And the, 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 the position's different. There's different functions as well. But as far as the qualifications, look at that list. You need to be above reproach. Uh, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not be arrogant or quick-tempered, not a lover of money, manage his own household well, keeping his children under control, not a recent convert, well thought of by outsiders, a lover of good and upright things. He's just and he's fair, he's holy, he's devout, he's self-controlled, and he holds firmly to the faithful message as it's been taught. And that's not a lot to ask, is it? <laughs> All the elders are like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to resign now. Because you read that and you're like, who, who fits this, right? And time doesn't allow us to detail all the qualifications and what they mean, but just looking at that list, you can see why leadership in local church can't be taken lightly. It's a very serious thing. It's not just for any man. It's for a man called of God and equipped to do the ministry. And we're also told in the Bible that if a man aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a good thing. It's a good thing to, to want to be part of God's church and, and the leadership of God's church. That's something to aspire to. Because biblical elders are absolutely an indispensable part of any local church that, that really wants to please God. They want to function the way that God has called them to function and designed them to function. So if a man believes he's qualified to serve as a shepherd in the Lord's church, and once the church has, has approved that man, I think in our church we... We, uh, you know, present the men through the bulletin and 
you know, we open it up. Hey, if there's any reason why we feel this man is, would not be qualified or ready or whatever, you know, we want to make sure that the church also is in on this, you know. But once he has been called and, and approved, and what does he do then? Well, Peter's admonition here to his fellow elders is to shepherd the church. So shepherds, shepherd. Elders, eld. Deacons, deke. What does a shepherd do? Well, he leads and flees the flock. And throughout the Bible, God's used that analogy of shepherd and sheep to illustrate the care and concern that, that God has for us as his sheep, right? We're familiar with that. The readers would have been familiar with that. The most famous psalm that you probably all have memorized is, The Lord is my shepherd. And so God refers to all those who believe in Jesus as his sheep. And so an elder finds himself in an inter interesting position because when he's called to lead God's flock, he himself is still a sheep. There's only one head of this church, and that is Jesus Christ. Everyone else is a sheep. But yet elders are, are sheep that are called to lead and to shepherd. We're just sheep with a, a different role of leading others. That's why I think Peter refers to Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. So we, I don't know where this term came from, but elders, we, we would call ourselves under-shepherds because we shepherd under the leadership of Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. As we follow Jesus, as he shepherds us, we then can shepherd and lead other people. Does that make sense? What's the work of an elder? What does one who is called to shepherd God's people do? Well, it's really the same work of, of a pastor, Elders pastor the people. This one uh, commentator says, Pastoring includes the duties of feeding and leading and guiding and guarding and providing for the needs of those in the church like a shepherd does these same tasks for his sheep. What that looks like in, in each elder's life is different. Everyone's gifted differently, but that's the basic uh, job description. Lead, feed, guard, guide, provide, give oversight, help direct, help love, help whatever the need is. We learned a, a saying in pastoral ministry years ago that shepherds need to smell like sheep. Elders cannot lead merely from a boardroom, nor can they effectively be an example for the people, they're called to lead from a distance. You have to get involved in the lives of people that they're called to lead, just like Jesus did. Jesus taught his disciples this when he saw they had the wrong idea of what leadership in his kingdom would look like. You may recall this occasion when Jesus and his disciples, they were heading to Jerusalem, <clears throat> where Jesus would suffer and give his life. They, he just told them that. I'm going to go suffer and die. For them. Where were the disciples? Well, they're trailing behind a little bit because they're arguing over which of them is the greatest. And then James and John thought they'd get a jump on the others, and they sent their mommy <laughs> to Jesus to ask him 
if her sons could sit on his right and his left in his kingdom. Wow. Did they get Jesus' leadership model wrong? Thankfully for us, because we can learn from it. They thought they understood what it takes to be a leader in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus asked them that. Do you understand what you're asking? Can you bear the cup of suffering that comes with this position? You know what they said? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We can do it. So confident, these guys. I'm not sure if it was ignorance or pride or a combination of both. Either way, Jesus set the record straight by telling them this in Matthew 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow, that must have been a shocker, right? There's Jesus' paradigm for leadership. Peter was there, by the way. He heard Jesus say this. And then he watched as Jesus would later take, out, take off his outer garment wrap a towel around his waist, kneel down, and begin to wash the smelly, dirty feet of his disciples. Hmm. That's how leaders lead, by serving the people they're called to lead. That doesn't make sense in our world today, does it? It's upside down. They lead by giving their lives for the welfare of others. By, by dying to themselves and their own desire for, for whatever, for control or for reputation, and they become a servant. They become a slave. That's what Peter had in mind when he said here in this context, uh, in, the, in, this, in these verses, exercise over, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, which is what these guys at one time were looking for, I want to be on the right. I want to be on the left. I want to be in charge. I want to sit on the side of Jesus. Look at me. Not for that kind of gain. Not domineering over those in your charge. But to be examples. Examples. What does is, what is leadership in a local church like, look like on any level, but especially as shepherds? It looks like Jesus. Jesus taught, Jesus healed, Jesus listened, Jesus wept, Jesus rebuked, Jesus served, and Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. There's the model. What does an elder do today? All of these things, except maybe washing feet. I don't know that we need to do that. But the example is clear. Shepherds smell like sheep because they live with them. And they live for the spiritual care and the protection of the sheep. It's hard work if it's done right. It's difficult. It's wearisome at times. It's messy at times. But in my opinion, 
It's the greatest calling a man could ever have on his life. To give his life to serve the bride of Christ. And I believe Peter was concerned for these churches. He knew they needed shepherds to lead them, especially at this time in their life, throughout this journey on earth. One commentator said, Peter was concerned that the leadership in the local churches be at its best. When the fiery trial would come, the believers in the assemblies would look to their elders for encouragement and direction. And I'll end with this, an encouragement from Warren Wiersbe. Uh, Jairus mentioned Warren Wiersbe this morning in ABF, but Warren says this, If I have a count, any counsel for God's shepherds today, it is this. Cultivate a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and share what He gives you with your people. That way, you will grow and they will grow with you. Not all that complicated, is it? But it's hard. And so biblical leadership in local church is not for the faint of heart. It is, however, worth it. Not to brag, but we get a special reward from Jesus that you don't get, okay? So there's that. That's the second point. The chief shepherd will reward us. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory, elders. Last week we saw the Apostle Paul mention the imperishable crown that every believer can receive by living a disciplined life, a disciplined Christian life. But now he introduces to another crown that's reserved for elders or those who lead well. He says it's the unfading crown of glory. Wow, I want that crown. I might even wear it. No, I wouldn't wear it, I don't think. Let's hope not. I think Peter, again, is referring to this time yet future called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat judgment. Because he speaks uh, when Jesus appears, there's that, that terminology again, when he appears and he gives rewards, that's what we're talking about. It's the same language. It's the rapture of the church that's going to happen and then the judgment seat of Christ. When, when those who have served as elders on earth stand before Jesus, when we're going to have our ministry as an elder evaluated by Jesus, the chief shepherd. If our motives are right, if we serve faithfully and sacrificially the way God has called us to, then we will receive an unfading crown of glory. But when you receive that crown, what you're receiving is, what you're really looking for, elders, is that commendation from your master who's going to say, well done. Thank you for caring for the souls of my sheep. Thank you for leading and suffering and doing the work of leading people. And I think in that time, at that moment, guys, there is nothing that will compare to that. Nothing. It drives me to endure as a pastor. You people, I have to endure. No, I'm kidding. It's a joy to serve in, as an elder here. I, I, it's been, a ble- you guys have blessed me way more than you think that maybe I have blessed you, but it drives me to endure at times as an elder. It's motivated me over the years in the times when I didn't feel like leading. You ever in a leadership position and then halfway through it, you're like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. (laughs) Never happened to any of you, right? Because church, church life gets complicated sometimes, doesn't it? It gets messy. Relationships get messy sometimes. 
That's what I come back to. God, you've called me to this. And that, that's my prayer for anyone that would aspire to leadership in the local church, especially in the office of elder. They would realize this is a calling, and I need to lead willingly, not out under compulsion like I have to. Well, no one else is going to. I guess I have to do it. And so that's my prayer, and I ask you this morning as a church, would you pray for, for us as elders in this church, in this area? Finally this morning, to experience what I think is God's dream for His church, to be a, a healthy, functioning, thriving body of Christ that's, that's on God's mission on the planet. Shepherds need to shepherd, but sheep need then to submit. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I thought a lot about using a different word for this point than submit. I actually looked up synonyms. Is there a word that doesn't carry the negative connotation that submit does in our world today? I think we all have an aversion to, to the word submit, someone tells you to submit or to be subject to someone else, what do we do? We're like, oh, what time is it? You know, I think I need to go. Uh, I think we all experience that to some degree. But I also believe that why we recoil at that is probably because it's flowing from an independent heart, a rebellious heart, if we're honest. A heart that just doesn't want to be ruled. However, if, if we want to live out God's will for us as a follower of Jesus, we want to experience God's best and all that He has in store for us in this world, it has to start with a submissive heart. Because again, in God's kingdom, everything's upside down. The way up is down, Jesus said. To be exalted in God's kingdom, He says, you must be humbled. And the fastest way to be humbled in the kingdom of God is to exalt ourselves. Look at me. Look at my position. Look how important I am. In fact, Peter says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you know that word, Resist, do you know what it means? It means to range in battle against. Think about that for a minute. To set oneself against or be opposed to. God is saying, Peter, through Peter, if you want the God of the universe to go to battle against you, just keep thinking that you're the only authority in your life. Just keep, keep thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Keep living as if there is no authority in life greater than yourself because that's the spirit of our age today, isn't it? The defining spirit of America is, is the opposite of submission. It's self-determination, not submission to another. Anything that enhances my individual liberty to do as I please is good, and anything that hinders me and limits my ability to do as I please is bad, right? Isn't that the spirit of the age? 
But if you want the grace of God to help you carry out His will for your life, then humble yourself before the Lord of this church, of His church, Jesus Christ. This is His church. I remember for early on in years, they used to refer to the church as my church. Well, my church and, you know, and I remember uh, early on when I would talk about elders to someone else, my wife would be there and I'd always say, well, my elders. And uh, you learn early on, hopefully sooner than later, this is not your church and these are not your elders. This is the Lord's church. And these are his, his men, of which you are one. If you want grace, you don't want to be in opposition to God, but you want God's grace to help you in this, because this, this isn't easy. It's not complicated, but it's, it's definitely not easy. We would do well to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, which is the next passage, and we'll get to that next week. But listen, the Lord of this church has every right to tell us how we ought to operate, doesn't he? And we can't come to this and say, well, you know, that was first century, and that was, you know, there, you know, we don't do that today, and that's antiquated. We've evolved since then. You know, all the excuses that we like to make and try to apologize for Jesus telling us to submit to one another. But this is the way he's organized it. And this is the way he will hold all of us accountable to it. To do our part. To make his name great in this world. To carry out his mission for us. To become a healthy, growing local church. It's not all that complicated, but it's extremely difficult. And when I talk about healthy and growing church, I really don't have numerical growth in mind at all. I can honestly say that. I, we don't sit around and think about, hey, how can, we, how can we get the numbers up here? You know, how do we get more people in the door? A lot of churches may do that. I, I can't speak for every church, but I know there's a lot of church growth strategies and programs, and you know, we're always sitting around talking to numbers and buildings, and you know, what can we do? We've got to get more people in here. I kind of tend to have a different philosophy. I, 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 would lo- I would love for people to come, more people to come is fine. But I think what, what we want as a church, what God wants, is for people to come that have a heart to grow and to serve God. I'm here to learn so that I can be transformed so that I can live out my life for Jesus Christ in a way that pleases Him. But I think in order for that to happen, every one of us need to do what Peter says to do here in this passage. We need to clothe ourselves in humility. That's the key for everybody. When Peter wrote, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, you know what the word clothe means. This is interesting. It means to clothe or to tie oneself. Incomboma. I can't even pronounce that. Incomboma is the word that it comes from, and it was the apron 
of a slave. Put on a servant's apron is what he's saying. I think one of the greatest lessons on leadership that Peter ever learned from his rabbi Jesus was that time that Jesus took off his outer garment, put on a, a towel or a servant's apron, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember uh, Peter's reaction when Jesus started to go to wash his feet? You remember that? What did he say? No way! <laughs> You're not washing these dogs, Lord. Right? Maybe he had a fungus. I don't know. It's probably not that. But he said, no way are you washing my feet. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said a couple things in that interaction was, he said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will one day. You'll get it. But then he said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Hmm. And what I think Jesus was telling Peter was that if you can't humble yourself right now as I am humbling myself for you, you can't be one of my disciples. Because this is what it takes. And I think Peter understood the lesson. And that's why we read what we read here this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5. And him exhorting us, all of us, clothe yourself with humility. It's hard, isn't it? If it were easy, we'd all be doing it. It's not complicated, but it's hard. When I graduated from Bible college, they gave us a towel. How cheap is this school? Appalachian Bible College. It's Appalachian, by the way, not Appalachian. You learn that when you get to West Virginia. Appalachian, Yankee. Anyway, um, but they handed these towels out. May 12, 2001, that's when I graduated. And it says right here, trained to serve. Trained to serve. And you think about this, and you, you think about how some Christians, none of you here, I'm sure, but some Christians uh, see the church as, you know, you know, I need to be fed, right? I'm here to just take it in and just feed me. Over the years as a pastor, there's been many times that I've heard people Say, well, we left that church because I wasn't being fed. And that could be a legitimate thing. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of churches out there that aren't feeding people. They're not ministering to the needs of people. I get that. Been part of churches like that. We struggle with that at times. But it's the attitude that says, I'm here for me. If I don't learn something new, if I don't, you know, if I don't feel something, well, I'll go find a church where I get what I am looking for. That's what this looks like. But when Christians come and they understand the purpose of the church and God's design 
for how he wants to use the church to teach us humility and to teach us to serve and to receive the grace of God because of our humility. We come like this. Lord, how can I serve you in your church today? How can I humble myself and do something for someone else that maybe no one else will even see? No one else may even know about it. But I'm a servant of the Most High God. And if my Lord can humble himself and be obedient to the point of death for me, there's nothing that I cannot do for him. Amen? That's what is a healthy, growing church. Church of servants. Looking out for one another. Loving each other. Submitting themselves to the Lord, to one another, to the leaders in times. But it's all for the glory of the Lord. Father, thank you for this time this morning. This lesson on uh, servant leadership. A lesson that I definitely need to continue to learn the rest of my days on this planet. Servant leadership. Not combative, not argumentative, not forceful, not lording it over, not controlling, not trying to make everything go my way, but to humble myself and to realize that when I bow my knee and serve someone else, I'm bowing my knee and serving you. That's the way up. It's down. Help us, Lord, get a hold of our hearts this morning as a church. Help us to learn this lesson, to practice this, all because we want your name to be great in Burleson, Texas. We're asking you for grace, Lord. You promised to give it to us if we humble ourselves, and we need it. And so we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.